episode five. I find their illogic and foolish emotions a constant irritant. And transfer out, freak! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Cheap, lying, no good, rotten, fork-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-legged, and now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Blah, 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 blah. All right, so this is episode five of Two True Freaks. I'm uh, your co-freak, Chris Honeywell. And I'm your co-freak, Scott Gardner, who's not not paying attention well enough at the moment or something. I missed my cue. Oh, well. How's it going, well, freak? Well, you know. Shows, we, you should have been at rehearsal this afternoon. We had it all worked we out. We have rehearsals? I'll send you a memo. Jesus Christ, there's only the, two of us. Send me a memo or something. you got to check your email, email, email my, man. My email? 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 Email. Email. It's like snail mail, but faster <laughs> and longer. It shocks me. I don't like to check it. Yeah, that's what. That's where we put all that. That's where we put the electrifying information that that you need to know. But um, anyway, this is part two of our of episode four, sort of. It's our uh, we were doing neglected movies and TV shows, and we figured we'd knock out those neglected movies in like an hour or so. But it didn't really work out that no, way. No, because we ramble. We're not living up to our no blah blah blah. What's up with that? <laughs> Somebody's gonna sue us one of these have days. A lot of blah blah blah. I'm full of no blah blah blah. Somebody's gonna hire a TV lawyer on us and sue us for false advertising. Ah. <laughs> uh, so here we are to do it all over again. <clears throat> oh no. And now we're back. We're onto the cathode tube. Well, actually, uh, I don't. Do you want to go back and talk about the one on your list that you missed? Because I, I think that uh, that this one could inspire yeah. some good some good talk too. But it, it's up to you if you feel like backpedaling. Well, the 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 one I forgot to I don't know how I totally forgot to mention it because it's one that I I really liked in the last couple of years. I think it was two thousand and six it came out. No, two thousand. I've got two thousand three on this list, which that sounds that makes sense. yeah that sounds closer to me. Two thousand three or two thousand four, one of the two. And that was the Ang Lee version of the Hulk, which I really enjoyed. I went to the movie theater. I actually went to the movie theater with high expectations for Smash and and Pound and Scream and Destroy. And there wasn't a lot of that in the movie. There was a good, long, extended sequence of, of chase and smash and jump and run. There was really cool, well compute, really well animated computer animated but it was mostly like this intense asian style drama melodrama with banner and his father and his father had used some experimental serum and 
they just, he, you know, he he had his merry way with the story, but it it, it ran a lot like a comic book. The lot, the way the scenes would change and the way they were lit and worked out. And uh, you know, Ang Lee is the director of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, so he's a very visual director. And I I enjoyed it. I ended up it was maybe like twenty minutes too long. They could have trimmed twenty minutes too long. But it's always fun to watch Gary Busey like chew the scenery just to splinters, just turn everything into splinters. Think, He's over the top. I think you're thinking of uh, Nick Nolte. Nick Nolte, that's right. Yeah. But yeah, he's he's just as much same, train cut from as, the same mold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he and he and uh, and Gary Busey, they yeah, they're uh, they're they're pretty close. He's actually right, my there's, problem. There's our first nerd error in the in the episode. I'm sorry, say again. First nerd epi- error in the episode. <laughs> first 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 part of the episode where there's probably like people listen, ten people listening going ah 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 ah. Gary Busey. Busey. I don't remember Gary Busey being in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It took me a minute because I'm thinking to myself, "No, it's been a while since I've seen it. When the hell is Gary Busey in that movie?" But that's cool. No, I mean, like I say, they're both just as much a train wreck as <laughs> as each other. Yeah. So, actually, he's he's my problem with that movie because I, I get I, I like that one too. I don't love it. I had a lot of problems with it, but so did I. None of my problems with the movie are are with the Hulk. Or um, who's the guy? Sam, is it Sam Elliott that plays General Ross? I yeah, thought he I was so. dead on as General. Ross. Yeah. I liked him. I liked um, what's her name? The the actress there. Um, oh damn it! What is her name from from the Rocketeer? Jennifer Connelly. Yeah, I yeah. Think that's that's my my only beef with her is I'm still pissed at her that she got a boob reduction. I don't understand that. You, I mean, you certainly don't see me getting a penis reduction, so I don't I don't understand that logic. But anyway, well, you well, you know, unless I I don't know anything about your penis, but <laughs> you know, and I intend uh, to keep uh, it that way. <laughs> well, th- thank you. Um, but uh, I think most of the time. Guys don't have the problem where their penis is so large that it starts like making their back hurt and stuff. Speak for yourself. And I think that's. <laughs> I knew I was setting that up, but you know. You 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 lobbed it right across the plate, and I hit it out of the park. <laughs> yeah. One no, I I understand that. My wife cold, has said the same the thing when I when water's I. Deep. I'm sorry. One of them said the water's cold. The other one said the water's deep. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But, um, I, my wife said the same thing when when I when I bitched about that, you know, it's like, well, you don't have to carry them around. Well, you know, I, I, if Jennifer Connelly asked me to carry them around, I'd be more than happy to. But look to your feminine side. You have to. You have to look look at your feminine side. Feel 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 the large breasts through your feminine side and and empathize, man. Yeah. Burn some burn some candles and some. Get some aromatherapy working. And not only don't I have a female side, I don't really think I have an empathic side either. So I don't know. I, I can't sympathize. I am. We well. are so far off topic now. <laughs> but no, I mean, really, I mean, my only beef with that movie, and I and some people, I mean, they really, really rag on that movie. I, just hate I, I think it. the Hulk parts really work. Um, I think the creature looks very good. I, I like the the really raging scenes. I mean, really, to me, the, there's only three beefs I have with that movie. I think 
what's the actors? Is it Eric Bana? Yeah. Uh, he sucks. I, I've never seen him in anything that I liked him in. I, I don't know what it is with him. I just don't I just don't he's like kinda him. bland. He's kinda bland and puddly. He's I don't know, he's bland, you know, but he's, he's also he kinda and... comes off kinda arrogant to me. Like he like he thinks he's hot shit and he's just not. Maybe that's just me, but I just don't care for him. Um, the other thing was Nick Nolte. He, he, I mean, if you could make a cut of that movie that excised like him and like every plot element that he's in in that movie, I think that would, would increase work. by by a hundred percent. And uh, the other thing, you know, the big complaint beyond the Nick Nolte stuff was there. The Hulk stuff is great. There's just not enough of it. You know, yeah. he he doesn't. I think it suffers from the fact that he doesn't really fight anybody. You know, I mean, he, yeah, he goes up against the army. You know, he fights helicopters and tanks and stuff, and that's really he more cool. gets chased. I'm sorry. It's more of a chase yeah. too. It's more just like him trying to trying to just get a moment of peace, and they're and they're dogging him and shooting at him. So I'm and he fights back a little bit, but yeah, there's none of that smat. Just smash. But I I don't think it's horrible. I mean it's it's been it's been dogged to the point where anybody who hasn't seen it is probably avoiding it like the plague because they've heard what a what a horrible you know I'm trying That's to why it's on my yeah list. I'm trying to think of something to compare it to and I'm I'm blanking but it's not horrible. I mean it, it's it's entertaining. It's worth a look. It's just it's not it's you know it's it's not great either. You know it has its flaws, but. uh I wish you'd get your lazy ass to the theater and see the new one because I'd really be interested to hear your take on the new one because I think the the new one took what worked with that one and improved upon it and and didn't mess with any of the elements that that didn't work and the I loved the new one but that that'll be a topic for for when you finally uh, decide to to see it and I hope you see it while it's still in the theater because that that it, I liked that one. So far, that's uh, of the big summer movies I've seen this this so far this year. That was my favorite. Well, it was my so favorite, far. but it was also my my big pleasant surprise because I went with very. I think that's why I liked it the best because I went with huge expectations of Iron Man and liked it. But I I'm not with the rest of the world on being totally blown away because I I was a big Iron Man fan going in, so it didn't. It didn't floor me like it did everybody. You know, everybody else seemed to walk out going, "Well, I always thought Iron Man was really lame, and wow, this movie kicked ass." I went in more of Iron Man's awesome. Now let me see the, an awesome movie with him, and I was more like walking out going, "Eh, it was pretty good, but you know, could have been better." And then Indiana Jones. I mean, I think we beat that one to death. I mean, everybody seems to feel the same way that they went in with certain expectations and walked out going, "Eh, it was pretty good, but damn, he's looking old," you know, which was kind of what. That was pretty much my take. I liked it, but you know, he's he. I enjoyed it a lot more. You know, but this Hulk, when I went in, I didn't think it would suck. I mean, I I thought I would enjoy it, but I went in pretty much thinking I was going to get the same thing I got with the Ang Lee version, and and was really blown away. I mean, it, it's I, I really, I, I think it's great. I think they really they they took it really works. Yeah, I th- I think they took basically the Ang Lee version and. And beefed it up, and and kept what worked, and ditched what didn't, and made a much better movie. And what's what's it was probably a good idea. What's neat is that it's you know they're not mutually exclusive either. You know the the new one's not necessarily a reboot, but it's not necessarily a sequel. 
So, I mean, if you've seen right. the Ang Lee and then you watch the new one, they're, they kind of complement each other. But if you haven't seen it, then you don't need to see it either. So I like that. Right. I, I thought that was kind of a neat way to do it, you know, to where they they work or they don't. You know, they can be mutually exclusive. I thought that was kind of a, an interesting take. Well, I thought the Ang Lee version was good as itself. And if the, and, and it left, you know, it left David Banner or Bruce Banner in this. I'm on the back, getting back into TV mode. But it left him, you know, in the rainforest and uh you know just sort of not really a cliffhanger but leaving it open you know he's he's sort of out of society and stuff so it left it open to anything and i was very happy that it you know i wouldn't have liked to see ang lee do the next movie or anything i liked it as its own sort of different through a through a strange lens version of the Hulk, you know, it was Ang Lee's psychological take on the Hulk, you know, it became this sort of Freudian father and son aspect to it, you know, and it worked as as an Ang Lee movie, you know, he does dramas mostly, basically, even Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon for all the action, and it was basically more, you know, way more drama than action, lots and lots and lots and lots of melodrama and and uh same with um pretty much all of his movies i, I so, believe this is the only one of his movies i've ever seen i've seen the ice storm and i've seen crouching tiger hidden dragon i saw that in the theater and that was another movie that uh it was enjoyable but it, it's 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 very asian it's very hong kong where a lot of it is interpersonal interpersonal dramas it's very soap opery you know there's lo- lots of soap opera romance and betrayal and and all that and then a big fight on top of sticks with you know all sorts of wire foo effects and stuff and then 25 more minutes of drama but it was good it was an entertaining movie it wasn't the uh insane mega sensation that the critics turned it out to be you know it's the the it, those asian movies the ones that the critics in the mainstream sort of discover seem to me almost to be the more sedate and washed out and diluted versions of way better films <laughs> that nobody sees because nobody bothers to r- translate them into english or remake them into english or anything so you have to seek them out from enthusiasm jackie chan movies are like that all the jackie chan movies they released into the theater as an American release. They cut them all. They cut a lot of stuff out, and uh, they cut a lot of humorous stuff out. And uh, they released a lot of the ones, like, after he was, like, probably, like, 35, 40 years old. So he'd slowed down. His early, early movies are almost exhausting to watch. They're almost, like, an hour and a half, two hours of constant stunts, real physical stunts. And why... And watching them is just like it's pure adrenaline from beginning to end. It puts American action movies to shame, and it's all done physically. And you have to wonder why somebody in Hollywood could not see that, look at that, and understand how insanely awesome it is. <laughs> but that's another rant. That's but yeah, I guess that that's just one branch off Angley, so it's not too far off topic. But I think uh, 
I think we should switch over to the the smaller screen yep. and the commercial laden and we'll come back after a quick break with our uh, neglected and forgotten TV shows or TV shows that we think you should check out that maybe have been lost or forgotten. Cool. All right, we'll be right back. The longer a person watches television, the more easily the brain slips into alpha level, a slow, steady brainwave pattern in which the mind is in its most receptive mode. Images and suggestions are implanted directly into the mind without viewer participation. An effective hypnosis is induced and the viewer surrenders to the unending television image stream. Alright, and we're back. So let's get into this. This is uh, our neglected uh, media part two. This is the small screen, neglected TV shows, or shows that we think uh, haven't gotten a fair shake, and uh, we think you should check them out. So go ahead, Chris, what's your first one? My first one, I guess I'll go chronologically, is uh, Fantastic Journey. Lost in the Devil's Triangle, trapped in a dimension with beings from the future and from other worlds, a party of adventurers journeys through zones of time, back to their own time. Varian, a man from the 23rd century, possessing awesome powers. From 1977, Fred, a young doctor just out of medical school. Scott Jordan, the 13-year-old son of a famous scientist. Liana, daughter of an Atlantean father and an extraterrestrial mother. And Jonathan Willoway, rebel scientist from the 1960s. Together, they face the frightening unknown on The Fantastic Journey. Not to be mistaken for The Incredible Journey, which I think was the dog and the cat and some, a duck <laughs> or something traveling across the country, or The Incredible Journey, which, or was it Fantastic Voyage, where they shrunk down Raquel Welch and That's what I was thinking of. What's what's this one you're talking about? I was thinking this, of the one where they where they shrink down and get injected into the bloodstream or something like that. Yeah. That's Fantastic Voyage, I believe. Yeah. This is Fantastic Journey and this one starts out this one's kind of Gilligan's Islandy at the beginning. It's uh it's uh I think he's a professor and his son and they're going, and a bunch of uh, his students or, or interns are going to do research on on something out in the ocean, and they they rent like a trawler ship, you know, with a bunch of people on it to to go out to deliver them wherever they're going, and they go through the Bermuda Triangle. And of course, there's some blue-green mist coming over the Bermuda Triangle, and they drift into it and end up... And this is where it sort of becomes a precursor of maybe Lost, that the TV show Lost, which is not neglected or forgotten. Right. But uh, this is this was 1977, and they end up on this island, and uh, you know just sort of with wreckage around them, and they discover as they walk around the island that there's certain parts where they'll just sort of walk through a membrane and disappear, you know, a sort of weird electronic and they'll they'll sort of fizzle like a, a Star Trek transporter and they'll come out 
in another area and it's all usually pretty much like jungly island looking but it's in different time periods so sometimes they'll come out in in the first episode they end up coming out in an area era where it's pirates and and you know English travelers and they've they've formed a colony on there and there's intrigue and treasure there and there's another part and this is a part this is this this is why this series intrigued me is this was one of those TV shows as a kid that I had to um I think it came on after the wonderful world of Disney which was was that ABC or NBC? It was ABC, wasn't it? Oh man, um, oh I should know this too. I'm I'm wanting to say ABC, but I'm probably we're probably going to get letters as a Disney remember. fan. I should know this, and I really yeah. don't. I'm blanking. But um, anyway, it was it was one of those channels where we lived out in the country. We had to really cross your fingers and hope it was on Sundays. It was on every Sunday night and you had to just sort of tune in the TV just right and hope the weather was just right and you could um you could see it and this show came on after after the movie that they showed on uh the wonderful world of disney and it's one of those things that I've always remembered but I never knew how much of it was my childhood imagination because I remember just this really weird show and people traveling through time and the image that most stuck in my head was uh, my first um, movie where I, there was a brain in saline solution. It was a TV <laughs> show. But there was a brain, in, a throbbing, pulsing brain in its saline solution that controlled the whole city. And Was it Hitler? No, it was not Hitler. It was a, it was an alien brain or or a brain from the future. Anyway, this was in one segment of the island that was all future people, and there was another guy who was a time traveler who was stuck there, and he had an egg-like sort of flying saucer, and a magic uh, tuning fork sort of thing, looking thing that would do just about anything. Well, this had Roddy McDowell in it. Roddy McDowell was in it, and Ike Eisenman. Who is the kid from uh, those Escape from Witch Mountain movies? Oh, that, that kid, really creepy-looking like, yeah, kid. He is creepy. I don't like that kid. I wonder if Disney had anything to do with this show, seeing as how it had two of their big stars of the era. I mean, this right? is seventy-seven. Yeah, this is NBC. Yeah, I bet you this was this was somehow tied to Disney, because those those are definitely two uh, two Disney mainstays of that era was Roddy McDowell and uh, and that kid Ike Eisenman. Ike Eisenman. I don't recognize anybody else from this show. But um, but the and thing I got, about somehow I've totally missed this show. Well, the thing about it is, here's what happened with it: is it was one of those things where I could I never I remember the storyline, and um, but I could never remember the name of it. And I don't think it, I, it, it may be out on DVD now, but um, I ended up finding it, downloading it from somewhere, and it was obviously somebody had taped it on. An You're old... going straight to hell for that too. I know. Well, I'll see. I'll see. I'll see you in hell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a pretty good. That was Thank a pretty you. good on solo. I just watched it the other day. <laughs> and uh so I never knew if I really saw it and and I would describe it to people and they'd be like I never saw that. It only ran 10 episodes and here's the thing is is it was one of those things where 
after I think there was the pilot episode, the first episode, which was maybe like two hours long. And then there was another episode that sort of wound up the cliffhanger from that episode. And after that, they sort of narrowed down the cast. Like, the kid's father was a strong, like, a main character in the first two episodes. And then in the third episode, you know, where they were in the city of the saline solution brain, there's a, a moment where he's like, well, where's my dad? And they're like, oh, we sent him back to your town. We sent him back. And he was gone. And, and you know, they sort of rewrote it and reshuffled around the whole thing. And all of a sudden, it was sort of a whole different feel to it. There were, you know, different characters. There was a woman who was a shapeshifter, and she would turn into a cat. And she became one of the main characters. She was just sort of a background character in the second episode. And the... um. And the, the, I think what they figured was between the spaceman from the future and the dad, they were both sort of playing the same role to the kid. And the space guy and the egg UFO is a lot more interesting than dad, who is a marine biologist or whatever. So get rid of dad, one less paycheck. And so the whole thing sort of changed tone after on by the third episode. But it's still good. It's it's just not quite as weird and it, it's sort of your basic you know now looking looking at it anew and after and seeing that first episode after you know twenty five years or however long it was that it was not quite yeah like twenty one years um, you know it's got that cheesy seventies feel to it. But it was amazing how much of it came back to, you know, how every little detail and, like, how a certain character would die in plot elements. And it was, oh, yeah, I remember this. Talking 31 years, guy. That's how old. 31 years. That's how old you are. Oh, God. That just make you feel like shit. <laughs> well, let me tell you, 21 years, 31 years, it, don't, it starts not to matter when you get this age. You know uh, what I'm saying? Oh. Uh, <laughs> All right, now go. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of as you're saying this. I had to look this up, so I'm looking at the the wiki uh -huh. on this, and I do see where they're comparing it a lot to Lost. But listening to your description at the beginning of it, I was getting a serious like Land of the Lost vibe. Now, would, would I be wrong with that comparison? Same time period? No. Well, they got the same haircuts. That's for sure. as <laughs> Land of the Lost. But there's no, there's no. Um, Chaka. Stop motion. Did it have chaka? There's no chaka. No chaka. No oh, stacks. You gotta no have chaka. No stop motion uh, dinosaurs were, that you can foil every time by sticking a big giant toothpick in their mouth and just jamming their mouth up. <laughs> I love that. It's like, you know, it's like the Pee Wee Herman show when they'd open up the door. It's like salesman. Ah, this is what it's like. Oh well, it was just one of your daily routine. They should have had comes, Jeff Goldblum put a, a giant toothpick in the T-Rex's mouth in Jurassic Park. I would have loved that. They could, that, they could have saved themselves every time because that stupid – those T-Rexes aren't smart. You saw that stupid fucking T-Rex in Land of the Lost. It just kept coming back and it would like, oh, there's humans to eat. And then it would be like, ah, I got this stick stuck in – and it was amazing. <laughs> every time it would shake that thing out of its mouth the exact same way every time. <laughs> And come to think of it, he would attack them the exact same time every time, every way. So, so you know, those things weren't too bright. But um, 
<laughs> I frankly I never made it to episode ten of like uh, downloading all of them, but they were all pretty. They were all pretty fun to watch. It's it's a really fun show to watch, and and it does preclude a. It does sort of, sort of. The the thing about Lost is there's really there's nobody's really trying to figure out why this place exists and how it exists and anything like that. They're sort of like, well, let's go over here. Oh, we're in medieval times, you know, and then there's an episode like that. So it's there's there's a little quantum leap in it too, I guess, I would say, in some ways. But uh yeah, it's 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 interesting and it's also interesting just from a technical point of view to see a show and see how it got doctored around and uh and there's a lot of talk, a lot of people talk about they saw an, an a different an 11th episode of it that might have only been aired in Canada and that sort of got brushed under the table because they could only fit 10 episodes on the two DVD sets so they didn't want to like have to put in a whole other DVD just to get episode 11, which was probably pretty cheesy anyway. Cheap-ass bastards. Yeah, that's how it goes. But I do believe this one is available on DVD. You could probably seek it out. You could probably go on eBay and find it, or you could probably go into <coughs> BitTorrent. And... Oh, I might have it's to check one. that one out. It actually sounds like something I, I'd, I'd probably get a kick out of. It's fun. It would be really... It, I, I wish that whoever had videotaped it, I wish when people videotape that stuff, they should just leave the commercials in. Oh, I know. I would it. love to just have the commercials going on in between. It would be awesome. And they could, you could chapter them out on a DVD, but that would never happen on a commercial DVD. But, you know, if there's anybody out there in download land, you know, who gets a, gets a bug up their ass about that, that would be really cool to see. <laughs> I wonder if any of that's on like YouTube with the commercials in it or something like that. I don't know. It, it could possibly be. I have, I've, I've never really looked now, now that you come to mention it. So what about you? What's first on, uh, I, I had a couple I was thinking about putting first, but actually I, I think this one ties closely to to what you were just talking about, as far as you know something you know that's that's quite old, something from our childhood, something that you could probably see some episodes of on YouTube, and it might even have the uh -huh. cheesy old commercials in it. That would be the Shazam live action oh. TV show from when we were kids. Chosen from among all others by the immortal elders Solomon, Hercules, Atlas, Zeus, Achilles, Mercury, Billy Batson and his mentor travel the highways and byways of the land on a never-ending mission to right wrongs, to develop understanding, and to seek justice for all. In time of dire need, young Billy has been granted the power by the immortals to summon awesome forces at the utterance of a single word. <laughs> which transforms him in a flash into the mightiest of mortal beings, Captain Marvel! Now, for anybody who's, who's not old enough to remember this show, this, this show it had... Uh, it was basically it was the Captain Marvel show, 
you know they they called it Shazam because at some point DC Comics lost the rights to to the name Shazam. Marvel Comics started or to the name Captain Marvel rather. Marvel Marvel Comics I'm thinking it was the 60s, I forget exactly what year, but anyway, they created a character called Captain Marvel. They had the rights to to basically promote that name and put it on, the, you know, the the cover of their magazines and stuff. So even though DC owned the character who was the original Captain Marvel, anytime they publish a title with that character, they would just call it Shazam because they couldn't call it Captain Marvel. So I guess that's the same logic and why the sh- the TV show was called Shazam rather than Captain Marvel. But it was this was a live action show, and it was a little bit different than the than the origins of the of the character in the comics but what was the same is that it was a it was a young boy billy batson and he would say his magic word shazam and he would channel the powers of seven different you know gods and mythical characters and become captain marvel the world's mightiest mortal and he would go out and he would right wrongs and you know stop thieves and stuff like that it was very simplistic and it was it was intended as a kid show. It was a half hour show, and it, it was, was just formulaic. It was, yeah, it was very formulaic, and it was me. It was meant as like a as like a morale. You know, each one was a was a morality tale. You know, yep. you know, it's like Billy. You know, Billy traveled the the highways and byways of the land. You know, with his mentor, they drove around in this in this big Winnebago, which I always that I always loved this Winnebago they had. They had this big Winnebago and a motorcycle, and had, right? Yeah, I. I, I I remember the motorcycle being in the credits of the show, but I don't remember him ever actually driving. Right. <laughs> but they had this Winnebago that, you know, anybody with half a brain might kind of wonder about them because, you know, the right on the front of the Winnebago was a license plate that was the lightning bolt on, on Captain Marvel's chest. And then Billy Batson always wore the same red and yellow shirt that was the same colors as Captain Marvel. So I guess the people they ran across just weren't terribly bright. A lot of hicks and yeah. <laughs> but you know, it would it would you know, they had episodes of like uh what's that Bonaducci guy's name was in a couple of episodes. Danny Bonaducci. Danny you know, and it would be like you know, like you know, his friends were wanting him to go steal a bicycle or something. Yep. So, you know Billy Babson and his mentor would come across this kid and try to tell him, you know, well it's wrong to steal a bike and then, you know, he'd steal a bike and be headed off a cliff or something, you know. It was I mean? always somebody was always headed off a cliff in a car, and he would always get in the front <laughs> yeah. of the car and push on the on the front end of the car and and skid to a halt just before. There'd be a lot of shots of his feet and gravel and stuff. I remember. I I'm going on this one just from memory. It was one of those shows that they would show late in the afternoon on, like when you get up Saturday morning to watch cartoons. Yep. This would be after all the um, big network, car- you know, there'd be the early morning old, old cartoons, and then there'd be the primetime cartoons, and this would be on with more of the syndicated stuff that would cut, that that was um, something that your local station would be programming more than the network would be programming, and, uh, and it would this... have Almighty Isis also would be yes. at the same, in the same hour. Now this one makes my list because, well, for a couple reasons, but the main reason is, and, it, and it's funny you mention ISIS. ISIS, the 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 whole series is out on DVD. Shazam 
still is not out on... Now, how the hell does ISIS rate over Shazam? That ISIS show is out there on, on DVD, and Shazam still hasn't been released. Now, I ended up getting this... I, I can't remember where I got it. I've got a stack of videotapes of this show, and they're like zillionth generation copies. Right. They look like shit. They're barely watchable. But I've sat and watched a bunch of them, and you know, if you can put your mind back to being a kid of that generation and watch it, I think they help. They hold up. They hold up really well as a as a you know as a show for a child, teaching them a moral. You know, and and yes. usually at the end of the show, Billy or Captain Marvel himself would come on at the end of the show. And basically, you know, if you were too stupid to figure it out, here's what the moral of the story was, you know. And they'd give you a little, you know, a little synopsis of what the whole thing was all about. Tell you, be a good boy and come back next week, you know. And, man, I'm telling you, I ate this show up when I was a kid. I loved this show. Uh-huh. And I and it made me aware of who Captain Marvel, you know, because Captain Marvel was not anything in the comics or anything of that era. I mean, you know, it'd been a long time since he'd been around. So this show introduced basically a whole new generation of kids to the, to, to the character of Captain Marvel. And I can see now why, you know, back years ago, he actually for a, for a time outsold Superman in the comic books. I mean, he was just as big a character, you know, and, sure. and for, for a and while like- was actually bigger. And, that was to me that was the big appeal as a kid watching this show was that fantasy ideal of here was this dorky kid but with one magic word he became the coolest dude in the world you know he he could fly he could lift cars and shit and i mean that's a powerful well there was you know, always uh-huh. that one part where he would go to the immortals yeah and it was animated yeah. through through you know wavy carnival glass look, so every, every so basically their lips were moving, and they you were seeing them like hallucinogenically, and they would, <laughs> and if I if I remember right, sometimes they would show him what you know what his friends were doing, but they would sort of explain what was going on before he would actually be Captain Marvel and go and fix everything, so that he sort of had the guidance of mentor and. Solomon, Hercules, Atlas, Zeus, Achilles, and Mercury, which is not bad group to have in your uh, corner. It was one of those shows, though, where if you watch it as an adult, there's an awful lot of little things that'll jump out at you. And one of the things that jumps out at me now is that if I was Billy, I'd get really pissed with the elders after a while because they always spoke in riddles. You know, it was never just a matter of, Hey, Billy, go over to uh, Joe's house, you know, Joe's huffing glue, you know? Yeah. It was always a matter of, well, Billy, in the future, a friend will be sorely tested. You must rise to the challenge, Billy. That's so how long. they work. It was like, what the hell, dude? Just tell me what the fuck's going on. That's so no I... fun. Yeah, exactly. The immortals have to have fun, too. They, and then when you leave, they go, <laughs> <laughs> what did you tell them this time? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I said some shit about I am the light, but when it is Tuesday, I am not. And what am I? And then I send him away to chew on that. I don't know. Whatever he says when he comes back, just pretend it's right. <laughs> 
So Billy's halfway across town keeping, you know, Joey from from sniffing glue or whatever. In the meantime, his other friends plummeted off a cliff on his sure. motorcycle or something because the elders didn't clue him in. But, uh, man, I'm telling you, I, I love this show, and I can't understand why why it still has not made it out on DVD because um, for a while, back, back before eBay got really, really anal retentive about such things and really yeah. cracked down, I, I mean, those shitty copies that I had on, on DVD – I mean, I was selling them on eBay. You know, I'd list them at you know a couple bucks or whatever, sell copies of this, and I was raking it in, man. I was making you know between like fifty and eighty bucks a, sh- a shot every time. I mean, for something that that you know I would put right in the listing. Look, you know, this looks like shit, you know, and I would it sell it. It doesn't matter. Like People want to see it. Exactly. So that's, I mean, you know, again, that's one of those those things that you know, if there's that much demand DVD. out there. For a shitty bootleg, it really should be out there. So I'm, I'm hoping somebody will finally get with the program. There might um, be some sort of weird copyright issue with it that has made it impossible for them to get the rights or something. It's, it's uh, all that stuff is so complicated. It can hold things up for years or forever. It might not be worth somebody's time, so they think to do it. Who knows what the reason is really a shame and yeah. and you know there's a bunch of them i remember when you and i were talking about this a while ago you reminded me that you know along the same lines of that show there's so many of these classic shows like that from saturday morning that i wish that they would put out you know you mentioned arc two uh, man yeah. i loved that show that was yeah. another one it was uh they had like a like the winnebago of the future or something and like wasn't it like a – it was a family, wasn't it? Wasn't it like a mom and dad, a brother and a sister, and like a robot or something? And, they and, traveled in like and a don't, don't forget the talking chimp. I don't remember that. Oh, there was a chimp that talked like rah, rah, in this guttural weird voice. And it was, a, you know, it was a, your standard Hollywood chimp in a, in a jumpsuit. He was, they all had white jumpsuits, sort of like – I don't remember, yeah. That's funny. I don't remember. What I remember is I think it was the first episode where the father had a jetpack. Oh, yeah. Brown and a jetpack. That's about like the only thing I can remember. I have not seen that. I have literally not seen that show since it was on when I was a kid. But there was that. There was like Bigfoot and Little Boy, which I kind of barely remember. There was like Electra Woman and Dinah Girl. You know, why aren't these shows out on DVD, man? Jason of Star Command. Oh, yeah. That had Scotty in it. James Doohan, he, uh-huh. he was one of the characters on that. There were a bunch of shows like that. Even though those, even those old, uh, like really cheesy animated ones, like Tarzan and the Super Seven or whatever the hell that was. Yeah. There was that. That I think one of those shows had ISIS in it too, as a, as an animated character. It was like Freedom Force or something like that. But yeah, man, they they need to they need to plumb the depths and get some of that. I mean. It, it can't be any worse than some of the shit that's on TV now for kids' entertainment, like on Nickelodeon and stuff. I mean, most of those shows are okay, but some of them are just plain retarded. Well, this um, that that, that actually reminds me of this is something on my list that I just got a, as a sort of honorable mention or a side note. But there was a it was another it was another kitty show. It was a PBS show called Vegetable Soup, and it had really weird abstract animations and super funky funkadelic music 70s music it was the mid 70s when it came out and it was sort of a multicultural 
thing. It would show you like kids eating rice and beans, and it had a lot of black people and Hispanic people and white people all getting along Sesame Street style. But it had this part of it called Outer Scope One, and they have a you know a little five minute Outer Scope One episode with each one, and it was uh, these little kids that that had built a spaceship out of wood in their backyard and fly off with it and end up having adventures. And it was very creepy because they were puppets with big heads, but they, they were a puppet head with a sort of ventriloquist dummy articulated jaw, but their hands were people with their hands in gloves just sort of stuck through the sleeves. So they had real hands which were way out of proportion with their bodies as little <laughs> kids. And they would have, the I mean... You would think Salvador Dali wrote all the scripts to this. They were so bizarre. There's a world with talking dustpans and toothbrushes. Just bizarre. And you can you can see it on you can find it on YouTube. And that was something that just sort of slipped into the cracks and something that I saw when I was really young and I remember it being really freaking me right out. And it's to be honest with you, it still freaks me out. Doesn't it seem like in the it. 70s that they went a lot further to try to, like, scare the hell out of kids? I think <laughs> that's great. You need to scare the hell out of those kids. <laughs> they need the best The best children's stories have just the elements of the most utmost horror in it. Look at, like, the movie Babe, which is the, you know, cute oh. little pig, talking pig. It's one of my favorite movies. And all of a sudden, in the middle of it, Here's a cat telling the pig all about the food chain, you know, and explaining to how well you're a pig, so you're you're going to be bacon, and uh, that's bacon. pretty intense. Yeah, that's pretty intense. When as an adult, I was like, hey, that's pretty intense. But as a kid, I would have been just horrified. But of course, it all works out in the end. But you need to, you need to horror. Those are those are my favorite movies. And some of the most kitty kitty movies would have uh, the Wizard of Oz is full of just like horrifying moments. You got to keep them traumatized just a little, just a little. <laughs> smoking like smoking like a true non-parent. <laughs> well, now you see that's the thing is, I only know you up to a certain point in your life. You know, before you had kids, I have I haven't really seen you interacting with your kids, but I imagine. You had to have inflicted a little bit of good-natured trauma on those kids. <laughs> it's just sort of your nature, right? You know, I mean, yeah. I know you're—I know you're a compassionate person, and I know you love your kids. But you know, every once in a while, it was like my dad used to do this trick where he'd grab onto my wrist and my hand. He'd be just like, "Just relax your hand. Let it let it relax. I'm going to show you this trick, and your hand would relax, and he'd sort of wobble it back and forth, and then whack, he'd whack me right face. in the face." <laughs> And then he'd be like, yeah, nah, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just relax it. Just relax it. Just like whack over and over and over again. Or here, have this piece of cheese. And it had like a little piece of, ha you know, it was jalapeno cheese. And I'm like, oh, oh ah, you know, ha, 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 ha. It's all very funny, but I'm traumatized. But those are the traumas that I remember with, with, I, I, I think they're hilarious. And I can't, you know, I don't have kids of my own, but I'll certainly inflict them on other people's kids guilt-free you know there's beating your kids with with wire hangers and then there's just messing with their heads 
to some extent, and I'm sure. So, so <laughs> what? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, vegetable soup. Bad news, man. Check it out, man. <laughs> Traumatized right. me, dude. All right, you want me to do another one? Yeah, what do you got next? All right, another one that I've got. This show really gets ripped on by by the people that saw it, but I think more people missed it than saw it, so this is why it made my list. Um, this was a very recent, recent cartoon. It was called Fantastic Four, The World's Greatest Heroes. And Never I, heard of it. I think it kind of spun out. I, I could be wrong, but it, I think it spun out of the first um, Fantastic Four movie, the first feature okay. film. And so that right there probably earned it some strikes against it right at the beginning because whether or not it was related to that show, it came out around the same time, and I, I think people thought that it spun out of that. But it's really not connected to that movie at all. And or the sequel, the the Silver Surfer sequel. Now, besides the fact that I liked both of those movies, I mean that really doesn't have anything to bear on this show. This show was really, really good, and I, I don't know what people's beef with it was. The people that actually watched it, I don't know if if it was the 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 the, the closeness time wise to that live action movie. I don't know if it was the the obvious anime influence. Now, you will never find a bigger detractor of manga and anime than me. I, I literally fucking hate that shit. But for some reason, it didn't bother me with this show. It actually seemed to really work for this show. The the, the heavy manga influence and um, the really, to me, the really beautiful blending of traditional animation and 3D computer graphics really uh -huh. worked. But what I really liked about this show and what really baffles me about all the detractors was that this is one of the most faithful adaptions of the source material, the, the comic source material that you'll find. I mean, you know, one of the biggest beefs you ever hear from comic book people when they make a, a comic book movie or TV show is they stray so far from the source material. Sometimes you, you actually wondered, well, did they ever bother to even read the comics? Yep. This show is really, really faithful to the original source material. Yeah, you know, the uniforms don't look the same. You know, the the Baxter building's a little wonky looking. Dr. Doom's a little wonky. If you get past that surface stuff, though, I mean, the stories and the characterizations are right out of the comics, man. I mean, it, it's basically you're taking that classic Stan Lee, Jack Kirby stuff cleaning it up a little bit for 2006 or whatever. I think this show came out in about 2006 or thereabouts. You know, so you're giving it kind of a polish up for, for a modern generation and then putting it right out there. And I mean, some of the stories are, are pretty literal adaptions of, of some classic stuff. And plus they, I mean, for the short run of this show, it only ran, I want to say there was only like 26 episodes, something like that. So it's a season, maybe maybe a season and a half. I'm, I'm not sure how long animated shows the seasons go, but I, I know there's not very many episodes out there. But uh, for the short run that it had, man, it, it, they hit on a lot of history of the Fantastic Four, and they had a lot of guest stars. And one of the very best episodes of this show 
was one where the the Fantastic Four um, track down and go against the Hulk. And damn, that's a good episode. And it's, you know, it's the classic Hulk smash Hulk, but he's also smart. You know, I mean, not smart, but I mean, he's not speechless. You know, he he talks and he's got some level of of bestial intelligence. And uh, man, there's there's just a a really great moment where the for some reason, I, I can't remember why, but the thing is trying to piss him off. I think they're trying to lure him into a trap or something like that. And the thing, you know, makes all these insults against him and, you know, he's calling him names and all this stuff. And the Hulk says something like, Rockman insulted Hulk's mama! And he gets all pissed. <laughs> and I mean, you know, it's it's just a great Hulk versus Thing fight, which, you know, that's that's a staple of comics, man. Yes. Those, those thing, Hulk versus Thing fights, you know, that that's you know, the stuff of comic legends, those fights, you know? So this show hit on a lot of those elements and, and I thought it was a damn good show. I mean, really the, the, the only big complaint I got against it is, you know, they, they've got the, the thing and, you know, he looks like the classic comic book thing. He's wearing like pants, like, you know, like fantastic four uniform pants and he's not got a shirt on, and he's not, and he's not got anything on his feet. So he's just got his big old thing rock feet. Yeah, and that's fine. Yeah, I mean, you you know who he is. You can tell he's a member of the team. He's the big rock guy. Well, for some stupid reason, they've got a four. What looks like literally, it looks like it's been spray painted onto his chest. Uh... And I don't know what the deal is with that. I don't know if it was supposed to be a joke that Johnny pulled on him or what, but every episode he has this spray-painted four on his chest, and it just looks really ridiculous. But, I mean, if you know, if that's your biggest beef about the show, I mean, yeah. you know, get over it. I mean, it's really – it was intelligently written – Johnny uh, Storm, the Human Torch, is funny as hell, and almost every every line he's got or every scene he's in, he's hilarious because they play him as the classic. You know, he's smart a hot. Ass. Yeah, he's a smart ass. He's a hothead, but also he's a dumbass, and that I really like that. That here's one of the most powerful superheroes, one of the most powerful superheroes on the planet. And he's really kind of an idiot, you know. He's kind I mean, of va- yeah, vain and dumb. Yeah, vain and exactly, and and he that really works for this show. You know, there's a lot of gags with him in his car, you know, and things like that. It, it just it really really came off well. Reed Richards is is very very well done as kind of the absent-minded professor type of character. Um, Sue is done a a lot more powerful. I mean, she's much more of a, of a of a strong woman character in this rather than just, you know, the helpless damsel who's constantly falling into, you know, one perilous situation that the team has to come save her ass from after another, like, like she was in the old comics. She's much more of her own character in this. Um, Namor's that's the Submariners in several episodes and he's really good. It's just a total pomp and, you know, pompous, arrogant ass. Yeah. Um, she hulks in one where she actually replaces the thing for a while, just like she did in the classic burn run. I mean, really, if, if you haven't seen the show or if you only ever saw one or two episodes and thought, man, this just isn't that good. 
go back, track it down. You know, it's all over the net to, to be downloaded or watched for free. Um, I know DVDs are out. I don't know if the whole series is out on DVD. And I think for a while, I don't know if it, they're still playing it, but for a while they were playing it on Toonami. I mean, it really is worth a look. It, it's really a lot of fun. And, and if you're a Fantastic Four fan, especially if you were disappointed by the live-action films, check this show out. It really is worth a look. All right. I think uh, we should take a break and come back to more of our list. Cool. All right. I'd just like to give a shout-out to Dufo DiManzo, our benefactor, hoping he's sending us some more uh, money from Italy to keep the show going. He's a prick. I don't like uh, him. Well, I'll cut that part out. All right. See you later. We'll be right back. Everyone's a Captain Kirk. I'm Captain Kirk. And now, sit back and relax. As we uncork a bottle of Vintage Kirk, brought to you by Master of Motor, William Shatner. I'm losing command. I'm losing the Enterprise. Hang on and on. I'm alone. 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 I'm losing command. Captain, I lost command. I've lost the Enterprise. We are back. Here I am with a mouthful of chips and salsa, but we are we are back. Yeah, I got uh, I got me a mouthful of little Debbie's marshmallow treats. Mmm, not bad tasty. at all. Tasty. All right, freak. I think you're next. Yep. My next one. A lot of people might remember it. You might not. You might remember from commercials. And uh, stuff maybe even more than the TV show, but it's from 1987. It's Max Headroom. This is Max Headroom. And what you're about to witness is one of the most sinister-sounding intros to a trailer to one of the greatest epics ever produced in the history of television. And there's more. Because you are going to see it as well. Yes, it. Yes, it. Yes, namely, the Max Headroom story. And afterwards, that is, directly following, I want to talk to you about something even bigger. Namely, the Carl Lorimar Max Headroom Sweepstakes. So, sit back, relax, and enjoy my film. Oh, yeah. And uh, the pilot episode of this, which I think was started as a British TV show and was sort of recut and and remade for an American version, but both versions are great, way ahead of their time storylines. Yes. Uh, And the origin of of Max Headroom is, it stands up today. The whole, the the show pretty much stands up except for a couple haircuts here and there. And uh, the storyline is, was cyberpunk way before anybody was making cyberpunk movies. Except for maybe Blade Runner, which, uh, well, you know, that's arguable. 
but uh boy and it was a it was a great dense story with a lot of stuff going on you really had to keep on your toes to to figure it out because and which is really funny because most people remember max headroom as this sort of shallow media yes creation he'd be on david letterman and he we did a video with the art of nose he had a talk show yeah. that was really cheesy because I had one episode of it on videotape, and it was the one where Shatner was on there. Oh boy! I wish I still—I don't know if I still have that or not. I need to hunt around and see if I've still got that. I bet you that's that's something to have. But all that stuff, except for maybe the the Paranomia, the Art of Noise collaboration, yeah. which is a great song. Everything else is kind of cheap. Did he? Was it Coke or something that he did? He did Coke commercials. I can't remember. And, but that was mostly what he was known for. But there was actually this, the, you know, the, the, the you'll see it on videotapes every once in a while. It'll be the Max Headroom movie or the origin. And that's the easiest part to find. And that's probably the best of all the Max Headroom stuff, the two-hour pilot. Now, is, any, anybody that's great. not old enough to have seen this or doesn't know what we're talking about, Max Headroom, if you know the actor Matt Frewer, and he's been in shitloads of movies. He was uh, yeah. he was in probably the most recent thing I saw him in was the remake of Dawn of the Dead. Mm. He was he was the dad of the girl. It was a dad and a girl that that somehow got rescued and came into the mall. He had been bitten, and they lock him in a room and wait for him to die, and then the black cop ends up shooting him. That's Matt Frewer. That's that's the guy. He was also uh, Doctor Doctor. I don't remember that. It was a sitcom. It was a pretty popular sitcom for a while. He was in. He was the. He was the asshole neighbor in Honey I Shrunk the Kids. Ah, right. He was uh, for Star Trek fans. Star Trek: The Next Generation. There's an episode where this doctor, this professor, comes from the future to study some event that's supposed to be a big deal for the enterprise crew. And he keeps, you know, telling them that, you know, what a historic occasion this is and all that. And uh, then the twist yes. is at the end of it, he's actually not from the future at all. And I won't, I won't give the rest of it away, but that's uh, one that's of my him. favorite episodes. Yeah. Yeah. That's him too. And he's great. I mean, cause he's playing really the kind of character that's best for him. You know, the really kind of smarmy smarmy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, and in and, and Max Headroom, he's a disembodied head that has, you know, that sort of predates the CD skip, digital skip. He's always repeating words and repeating just fragments of, of syllables. Yep. And, uh, but the, you know, the whole first two hour episode is how, how that character came to be, and it's a fascinating explanation that they come up with and it's this whole twisted story about a big tv company tv um network in britain post depression some sort of post-apocalyptic depression britain and um they're they're using these advertisements called blipverts that give you the whole advertisement in just a flash of a second but some people have become so fat and sedate and they sort of, they'll sponta worse than spontaneously combust, they'll just sort of spontaneously explode after seeing one of these advertisements. So one of the reporters from this the same network is sort of getting hip to this happening 
and is investigating it, which is against, you know, against the, um, the success of the company. So they're beginning to figure out how to shut him up or get rid of him. And, uh, I don't want to give away too much of it cause it's really nice, but it's got elements of a little bit of road warrior to it, I guess, in some of just some of the characters and, and by the by the end of the first episode, when you're first seeing Max Headroom appear, he makes total sense. <laughs> and once you see the character after that, his from, he it goes from being just this shallow sort of trick where they figured out how to scan an actor's face and put it on a video screen into a real character that that everything he does is is very shallow and stupid, but he's only just a fraction of a real person's well, didn't, consciousness. Didn't the whole popularity, the whole phenom behind him burst when it was revealed that it wasn't actually CG, that it was him in some kind of a mask or some shit? I, I kind of remember something about the, the big, you well, know, when it all kind of crashed. There was some well, stink that I can't remember what the deal was. I, I know that they rigged it up so he could sit backstage... And uh, control the, and I think they did actually do stuff with a mask before, but that that that, I'll 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 uh, get to that in a second because there's an interesting story that goes along with that. Um, but um, I remember seeing him on David Letterman, and they and it was an obviously it was a live interview, you know, it wasn't right. canned questions and responses. It was a live interview and. They had the they they must have had the the actor backstage and and talking into a mic, and um, something probably some sort of crude CG rigging up to his jaw and mouth so it knew when his mouth was opening and closing, and a crude computer simulation that would sort of jerk the Max Headroom head around, and there was that always shifting background of sort of um, geometric shapes behind right. him. So that would be going on. And it was obviously, you know, just sort of a jury-rigged version of it. It didn't look like it would on a fin on the finished TV show. But, uh, you know, that was... Some but um, at one point, I don't know if it was in Britain or in the United States, but somebody hacked a TV broadcast during a political speech or something. They hacked on and they had a Max Headroom mask on. And they had the they were standing in front of a blue screen and they had the, the geometric patterns, I think, or maybe they even had a crude painting of it. But they simulated the Max Headroom thing and transmitted their revolutionary message or whatever, which was very distorted because they had it through some sort of thing that made their voice all deep and it was a really crappy video camera and a video, really crappy feed, but they somehow managed to hack into into a regular television broadcasting day and broadcast like a minute or two of someone in a Max Headroom head <laughs> pretending to have uh, take you know, give a revolutionary message. It was really, really, it, you know, it, it seemed like teenagers, it seemed like a teenage prank maybe. Like something you and I would pull off where if we pulled that off in high school, 
nobody would have understood what it, we said because it would have been the series of in-jokes that would have cracked us up. So we would have watched the video of it afterwards and laughed our asses off, but no, everybody else would be just scratching their head going, well, whatever. But that's what it struck me as. <laughs> and um, I believe all the Max Headroom and... You have to sort of watch out because some of it's the Max Headroom interview show, which isn't bad, but it's not as good as the storyline show, which is actually very good sci-fi, you know, futuristic intrigue story and still holds up to this day. You know, it still could be set in the future from today. So, you know, it's not like war games where you see... The, you know, you see the Pentagon computers and you go, oh, right, okay. <laughs> you know, look at, you know, look at that thing. That's just this, you know, it's a TRS-80 Model 1. <laughs> or even the computers on the original Star Treks, which go, teka, 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 when they're thinking of things, you know, they make it like a little mechanical sound, processing, thinking, <laughs> they have like that voice. That's, I you wish know, computers did that, too. I wish my computer did that. My you know, computer when sort of does that. You know, when I've got like 20 different applications open and I go to click on something else and then all of a sudden it's just it won't do a fucking thing and I'm going, what's wrong with this piece of shit now? I wish it would just go, thanking. So thanking. Yes. Thanking. <laughs> so I would know, you know, that it's busy, you know? But, this, uh, you know, anybody out there listening who knows how to do that, you could probably make a little application that would make your computer go, thanking. Thanking. Working. <laughs> Working is. <laughs> oh man, we get off of some weird ass tangent. But yeah. So what's what's next with you? Let me see. What's next on my list? Well, actually, my uh, the one I'm going to put up next ties right into Max Headroom, sort of, because uh, I don't remember a whole lot of Max Headroom. I mean, I, I rem of of the show, and you're talking about the show, right? Yes. Because, I mean, the character was everywhere. And he's one of those things that I, I think the show, the reason it didn't do better was it was so far ahead of its time. I mean, because yeah. if, if, if that came out today... Everybody would know, understand what yeah. was going on in it. Yeah, I mean, he would he would so fit today's culture and everything. That show was just a good 20 years ahead of its time, I think. Yeah. But uh, one thing I do remember about the show is uh, the, the cute girl that was on there was uh, Amanda Pays. Now she's on. She's in the next show that I'm going to talk about, which was uh, the Flash. Oh yeah! This was a live-action show that was on CBS at the time that it was made. Was the most expensive show on TV, and mostly because of the suits, the Flash suit that he had. Because I think they had several of them. This starred uh, John Wesley Ship, which before this. Well, even after it, really. But before this, I don't think he was really known for anything other than he was a character on The Guiding Light, which, strangely, I actually used to watch that show. I think it was because... It was on right after school. Yeah, I used to watch it, I was, too. I used to... I got into that show because it was on when we got home from school right before, like, the Marvel superhero cartoons would come on. And and one of the characters was in it, remember, everybody thought he was a vampire. Oh. They had a whole... They had oh. some fantasy elements to it. That was so... Oh, Terrible. But anyway, The Flash, this show is the reason 
that I stopped watching TV for like years because I loved this show. This show kicked ass, but it only lasted a season. And the reason it only lasted a season had nothing to do with the quality of the show. It had to do with the fact that the people at CBS are complete fucking morons because they were paying, you know, through the nose for this show. I mean, each episode was just incredibly expensive. So rather than get behind it and make sure that, you know, they were going to get as much bang for their buck as humanly possible, they go and they put the show up against the Cosbys and the Simpsons and later yeah. on um, Murder, She Wrote. You know, I mean, now granted, I was never a fan of any of those shows, but I mean, these were like the biggest friggin' shows on TV at the time. Murder, She Wrote, maybe, because it's a different age group watching Murder, She Wrote, but the Co Cosby and the, Simps the Simpsons, yeah. come on, you're and not yeah, going to win. And, and, you know, so not only was it against those shows, but then it, you know, it constantly jumped around time slots. So, you yep. know, one week it was on at, you know, like Tuesday at eight or something, you know, which was like a prime time for kids. And then the next time it would be on like Friday at 11 or some ridiculous. So it was all over the map. Every time they moved it, you know, they just put it up against some other show that just absolutely murdered it in the ratings. I think if I remember right, at least one show got preempted by, I don't know, something, the president or some damn sports thing or something. So it was a tough show to follow to begin with just because of the constant jumps. But then if you were a fan of any of those other shows, especially The Simpsons, you were probably watching that show. Anyway, it's a damn shame because the show was good. And it only got better as it got closer to the final, ep you know, what turned out to be the final episodes. Mark Hamill was in it. I mean, if you like Mark Hamill, he was great in this. He was really over the top. He played the trickster, which was the trickster for anybody that doesn't keep up with the Flash in the comics. The trickster is basically Flash's version of... Like uh, Luther. Well, more more like... I was going to say the Joker, but he's not really... He's kind of like the Joker. I guess kind of like the Riddler or like, uh, like the yeah. prankster. Uh, you know, Superman villain, the prank... You know, he's... He's not really evil so much as he's just kind of twisted and, you know, he just he, he just likes to have a good time, play a lot of pranks, play a lot, a lot of jokes. And he was somewhat similar to the to the Joker in this show because he, you know, he did have a vicious side to him. You know, he does try to kill at least one character that I can remember, maybe some other people. I can't. It's been a while since I've seen it, but he was in a couple episodes but he's just really good. I mean, he really, you know, over the top, really playing it up. And uh, and you get a feel for, you know, Mark Hamill a couple of years after this would go on to voice the Joker in Batman the Animated Series. And you can kind of see the seeds of that with this. Yeah. He plays a very similar type of character. His voice sounds very much the same. But John Wesley Shipp really carried the show as – Barry Allen and the Flash. I mean, he really he's sincere in the role. He doesn't camp it up. You know, you can tell he was really into the part and and really was having a good time. And it's it's not overly campy, but it's not overly a realistic style. It's kind of a you know, it has kind of a Dick Tracy you know, Burton's first Batman film feel to the backgrounds and to the, you know, it's obviously inspired by the first Burton Batman film as far as its look and its feel, but 
as the show progressed, it started to kind of get away from that. And, uh, and it started to develop its own identity. Toward the end of it, they started to introduce um, super villains, which was something they didn't do in the early episodes. It was very much, you know, he was going against mobsters and right. gangsters and stuff. So, Real world stuff. Yeah, it has a lot of a lot of parallels to me with, with Batman the Animated Series because Batman the Animated Series was somewhat similar too in that, you know, a lot of the early episodes of that show, Batman fought gangsters and mob bosses before he fought, you know, some of his bigger villains and stuff. Before the villains really became more of the focus of the show. And The Flash was somewhat similar. You know, he he fought those kind of guys before, you know, we eventually get Captain Cold and a couple others I can't remember. I remember the trickster being really the big one. And then uh, Amanda Pays, uh, she plays... Um, a character who was invented for the show. She's the doctor who he goes to when he first gets his speed and she, you know, becomes his friend and, and basically encourages him to use his powers as a superhero and stuff like that. And, uh, but it was, it was just a really good show. Um, Danny Elfman, um, did the main theme for the show. And then Shirley Walker, um, did, I think she'd scored all the episodes or at least the majority of the episodes, um, later on, she would use the same theme that she wrote for that show as the Flash's theme in um, the Superman the Animated Series episode, uh, Speed Demons, and they may have used it in Justice League. I can't remember, but it was just it was a lot of fun, and it was just a shame that it only lasted one season. And again, it, it wasn't because of the quality of the show; it was just because they were stupid over at CBS and, and just killed it with idiotic yep. time slots. But yep. definitely worth a look. It's out on DVD. Sadly, there's like nothing special about the DVDs. It's just the show. There's no bonus material or anything, which is a shame. I would have liked to have seen some some interviews because I know that uh, Ship has some really good fond memories of the show, and uh, and he was really sad when it when it went off the air as well. And I've not seen Amanda Pays in anything else since. I, she may have done other stuff, but I haven't ever seen her in anything. Um, and that's pretty much the Flash. I remember I remember seeing the first episode and being really impressed. I really liked uh the fact that when he would I I I think it was a scene where he ran across some water but he would burn all this energy because he'd be moving at super speed and he'd have to eat. Yeah. Like crazy just to keep enough energy and I thought that was a nice touch to it. That was from the comics but it added a a bit of realism, you know. It showed some of the practical aspects of having a super fast metabolism. And, uh, yeah, that first episode is movie length. I want to say it's very movie like too. It's it runs about like ninety minutes, and uh, and uh, yeah, that I would put that first episode, that movie, that pilot movie, up there with. I mean, any any talk you could ever have about like great superhero movies, that one has to be mentioned because that it is. It's really good. It's not particularly faithful to the to the comic book origins of the character, but it, it, it is, you know, it's in the spirit and, and it's, it's just a lot of fun. I mean, it really was a good comic book movie. Well, my next one, I've got two left and neither of them are very, I would put in the sci-fi fantasy, um, horror or, you know, sort of nerd category, but they're just so damn entertaining that, you know anybody's gonna uh, well maybe not anybody but if you're if you're a little freakish you're gonna enjoy them this uh, the this one i'm going to talk about was uh 
a friend of mine um, sort of gave it to me as a challenge to find him episodes of the show because he'd seen it when it was on TV. He'd seen maybe like the first five episodes and it got canceled and he'd been trying to buy DVDs of it and find it, couldn't find it. And he wanted to see the whole run of it. And he was telling me how good it is. So it took me about... I would say four to six months to download the whole run of the show, but I'd found it and downloaded it. It's called, uh, it's from 1998. It's called Vengeance Unlimited. It was on ABC. And I think it ran 16 episodes. And it had the uh, actor Michael Madsen. He was in Reservoir Dogs. He plays a gangster a lot in a lot of his movies. And he plays this mysterious character called uh, Mr. Chapel. And uh, the whole premise of it is it's. It's got a little bit of the equal, or yeah, the equalizer, and um, like the Punisher, um, and, and a little bit of the Punisher, and uh, I'm trying to think of what other show it reminds me of. The A Team, a little bit. <laughs> or oh, they fire like the 20 million bullets and never hit anybody? No, just just the basic premise. <laughs> no, this was a little more. This was a little more realistic. It was more like the graphic equalizer. It was uh, the, this the, this guy, uh, Mr. Chapel, was a really you didn't know his background. He could have been a gangster before. He could have been a private eye. He could have been a cop. It's hard. It's hard to tell what he was, but it's whatever it was. It was a tough profession because he's a tough guy. He talks tough guy, but he's very intelligent. He was and, a social uh, studies teacher. It could have, he could have been, for all you know, he could have been the world's toughest social studies teacher. <laughs> and uh, what, what, what would, it would, what reminded me of the A-Team is every episode it would start out with somebody getting totally screwed over, set up for a crime they didn't commit and sent to jail, or would have their lives completely ruined by somebody who just completely ripped them off, and uh, they would receive a little letter in the mail saying, you know, I've noticed your situation and I've studied it and I see that, uh, you know, this person really screwed you over. I have the means to get, to exact revenge and get back whatever you lost. But uh, my terms are, if you decide to take them, that my services either cost a million dollars or they're free. But if they're free, at some time in the future... If I ever ask you to do a favor for me, you have to do it. I may never ask you. I may ask you tomorrow. I may ask you in 20 years. But you have to agree to that. And, you know, most people don't have the million dollars, so they take that. And then he sets into motion an intricate, intricate plan of deception and... And very much sort of like uh, Mission Impossible a little bit, but more, you know... It's got more of a true crime feel to it, but, you know, he, he methodically sets up the people to get their comeuppance. And that's what makes the show great, is it's very satisfying, because the scumbag always gets it. <laughs> and, uh, and, the, and the thing about it is, he'll, in, in the course of this complex plan, he's, he has to use people... Who he's helped out in the past so he'll enlist somebody who's an accountant to find some information for him and give it to him and as the series went on 
and it was very addictive. I watched the first episode just to see what, what you know my friend thought about it before I ran him off a disc of it. And I watched the first episode, then the second episode, then the third episode, and before I knew it, in like three days, I'd run through all 16 episodes, and, you know, characters from five episodes back would turn up again, but this time they would just have to do one little thing that sort of, that would always sort of be, you know, unique to their character. So, you know, he would he would call up people according to their strength or their position that they happen to be in, and it was... It was it was great. It was very it was again it's kind of formulaic. It was the same sort of setup. And sometimes there were there were there was a, I think a serial killer that ran through three or four episodes. And uh I you know, it's it's so neglected. I'd never heard of it and a lot of people I know have never heard of it, but it's really worth seeking out. It's very entertaining. No, I had Michael never heard Madsen, of it. Michael Madsen plays a great tough guy, you know, he's, he was also in, uh, he played Bill's brother in the second Kill Bill movie, that which was another great role for him, a very, very, st- he, he always, he doesn't play, he's a character actor, he doesn't play very much outside of, you know, certain roles, he, he's visually very, uh, mobster, um, criminal looking sort of guy. <laughs> But uh, highly recommend it. But this this is one of those rare, you know, it's one of those. Uh, it's he's still in character, but he's a good guy in this. He's usually a bad guy or a heavy in in most movies. He was a complete psychotic in Reservoir Dogs. He was just an out of control lunatic in that one. But uh, Vengeance Unlimited. I, I I don't know if it's out there on DVD. It can be it can be downloaded. But find it and watch it. You you won't be disappointed. That sounds like something that would be right in my wheelhouse that I'd really because oh, I like it. that whole Punisher type of yeah. Type of thing. And I, oh I, yeah, you'd love it. I wish I had watched more of uh, the other one you mentioned, um, the Equalizer. When I was a kid, I, I guess I never quite bought the Equalizer. I didn't like it then. That 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 guy that was the Equalizer in that to me was like Michael Caine. It was like really yes. really Michael Caine's gonna go like kick some ass on somebody. I just didn't buy it. Yeah, but if no, they'd have had, was... you know, somebody like Thomas Jane, you know, and then I could have bought it, you know, I could have yeah. see somebody that looked, you know, like they were on the edge of psychosis anyway, you know, going out and and being the equalizer. But I just never quite bought that that English guy, whoever, whatever the hell his name was. I just I, I, he wasn't believable as somebody that would go, you know, kick ass for money or whatever the deal was in that show. He just never never sold the series to me. So what do you got next? Well, on the list that you sent me, you've still got two other uh, ones to talk about. So a- after your next one, if you still haven't hit these, I'll, I'll remind you of the other ones that you sent me. But I've... Uh... Oh, yeah. Well, I've struck a couple out to, oh, due okay. to time that I had on my on the lower end of my list. Okay. Well, I'll, I can whip through mine pretty quick. Um, I've only got two left as well. The next one for me, it's funny how many of these shows that you and I have talked about really, you know, only got like one season and that was it. Yep. Um, This one I'm going to talk about is, again, was only one season. It may even be a shortened season. I don't know. Sadly, I I have not yet made it through this entire show. So it could be one of those where it tanked at the end and really sucked and that's why they canceled it. But what I've seen of it so far, I've really enjoyed. It was called uh, Dark Skies. 
Um, I'm not sure what year this came out. I, I can look it up real quick. I, I think it was sometime in the in the 90s, probably early mm -hmm. 90s, if I remember I right. I think it was the early 90s, like 92. Um, okay, according to this, it was on from 96 to 97 for 20. Okay. Uh, it was 20 episodes. I knew it was 20 episodes. For some reason, I don't know why this show wasn't a bigger deal. Now. I never saw it until a couple years ago. I remember my father raving about this show when it came on, which strangely, you know, I love my dad, but maybe that was one of the reasons I didn't watch it is because he just didn't sell it to me well. I mean, this was this show came on at, at the height of like re uh, renewed interest in like the Roswell incident and stuff like that. You know, like when uh, right around the time like that alien autopsy video was out and shit like that. And um, this show, you know, as it was described to me, was basically, you know, it was about like Roswell and stuff like that. And I just by the time that came out, I was really tired of that whole thing. And uh, I remember the X-Files came on. And I watched like the first two or three episodes of that and, and really honestly thought that it sucked. I, I you know, I've since kind of wished that maybe I'd, I'd stuck with it because it's got such a huge fan following. I kind of wish I knew what the whole deal was and maybe had watched more of it. But I remember watching the early episodes and, and just not thinking it was all that great. So I kind of dis uh, disregarded Dark Skies thinking that it was just going to be another X-Files kind of thing that just wouldn't really appeal to me. And see, other than certain things like, like Close Encounters or what, I've got my own belief system when it comes to the whole Roswell UFO phenomenon and all that. And whenever I see something that, that doesn't really get in line with my own personal beliefs and ideas on that whole subject, they just kind of lose me, you know? So anyway, a couple years ago, you know, I was up really late at night watching TV and was flipping through like the really, you know, cheesy late night movie channels that we get for free, like, I don't know, stars or something like that. And there was this movie on it, it had just started. I didn't catch the name or whatever. I just happened to catch like, as I'm flipping through, I see the, like this UFO zipping across the sky. And I was like, Ooh, what's this? So I started watching it, and I, I had just so happened to come in right at the beginning of the show and and watched it and, and just fell in love with it. It was, it was really great. And uh, basically, the first in the first episode, we're introduced to this character. John Lowengard is his name. And he and his, his girlfriend, fiance, whatever she is, they go – they move to Washington, D.C. because John's taking a job. He's working as an assistant to some – Washington big shot. He's a senator or something. And he's trying to work his way up in the office from being just a gopher or whatever he is to a more important position. And the, the senator, whoever the guy is he's working for, is kind of swamped with all this work. So he assigns John one of his tasks, which is he wants him to go and investigate several different places where the government is spending money and he wants him to, to research it, find out what they're spending the money on and is it worth it or can they be cut from the budget? And one of the places he has to go to is, uh, it's, I don't know, it's Edwards or one of the, one of the bases where they were doing project blue book. 
And so he goes there to basically investigate Blue Book and all that. And through this process of investigation, he gets put on the trail of Betty and Barney Hill, which are two real people. Right. They, they for anybody who's not familiar with the whole UFO phenomenon, they were the were one of the if if not the first, they were one of the first couples to come forward about the whole abduction phenomenon. And they went underwent uh, hypnotic regression to basically recount their abdu abduction. They're a very famous case in ufology. Yeah. So, so the, the the book that came out was called uh, "The Interrupted Journey." Right. Was a book that sort of broke them open. So John goes and he talks to them and he makes a tape and and he's starting to get very interested in the whole thing. Well, on his way home from talking to them. He's ambushed by men in black who beat the shit out of him. They take his tape and they basically tell him, you know, drop it or the next time we'll kill you. Well, working in Washington as he does and traveling in certain circles of power, he actually ends up tracking down the head guy of these men in black and confronts him and basically says, I know what you're doing and I want in. And the guy's like, you don't know shit. Do you really want in? And, you know, John swears he really does want in. He wants to know what's going on. He wants to be part of the, the whole thing. So the guy basically indoctrinates him into Majestic. And there comes a point in the show where he says, look, if you step through this door, this is it. There is no going back from this. So you need to be sure that you really want to know what's happening What's going on? You know, because this is it. Once you do this, there is no going backwards. So John, you know, he's very young and he's very cocky and he makes the decision. He steps through the door. The next thing you know, he's involved in the whole world of, you know, there is a secret alien invasion going on on Earth. And this blows – I mean he has no idea what, what this all was really all about. And so the show kind of goes in that direction. I don't want to give any more away of it because the first episode has such a powerful, stunning ending that it, it's just it's, – it's great TV. It, it, it makes it – for the first episode plays very much like a movie, so it's a great movie ending. But it also plays in so heavily to my own personal beliefs of the phenomenon and, and what happened in this particular event that happens at the end of this first movie that it, it really made me interested to want to track down and watch the rest of the series. Now, the rest of the series has been kind of spotty. It's, it's hit and miss. There's certain episodes that are really good. There's other ones that are kind of eh. But what I really liked about it was that it does, for the most part, maintain the same quality as the first one and I really like the fact that the whole series heavily ties in a lot of real history and real historic figures you know the Beatles are in an episode um, Jim Morrison um, Norman Schwarzkopf um, Earl Warren um, the Kennedy brothers I mean just a whole bunch of, of historic people and, and, and they're tied in to the whole UFO and, and alien thing and a very, very believe I mean it's a very it's very easy to watch this show and get sucked in and feel like 
wow, this, this, I could totally buy this. I could really believe that this is how this shit went down. And this is why, you know, this, this is the way it is today. You know, uh, the Eisenhower meetings with, with you, you know, with aliens and shit. I mean, if you haven't seen the series or if you've ever just seen the, the pilot movie, it's definitely worth a look at least, you know, I'm up to episode 16 or 17 right now and really digging it. And uh, for any Voyager fans, um, Jerry Ryan, who played uh, Seven of Nine, is in this and, and looking just as good as she did in that show. So that that's definitely a plus. Um, Art Bell fans, you know that that anybody that listens to uh, Coast to Coast AM on the radio, um, Art Bell is in at least one episode of this show, which kind of was what got me interested in watching. Uh, or trying to hunt the show down at, at one point before I, I just happened to stumble across it was just to see him in something. Um, so yeah, definitely worth a look. Um, it's a lot of fun and and done in a very believable way, which I think a lot of this these kind of shows that that touch on Roswell and UFOs and all that just don't seem to come off. Back to you. Well, I'm take I'm I'm taking a little liberty with my list. I've got a lot of other options there's this one probably didn't you probably didn't see this on your list because i just sort of pooped it out <laughs> 10 minutes before we started talking that's gross and uh it th- this is kind of a weird one because it's just one episode it's a pilot episode but it's one of those things that's so great i i just love it i don't know maybe a lot of other people don't but i know i really it like it i know what it is it's Joni and, loves uh, chachi Oh, you're so close. You're you're so close you don't even know it. It was uh it was a really short run when it was on TV. I believe it was on Fox. And you can this is easily seen on YouTube and easily found as a download. And it was a pilot I, I don't even think this aired, actually. I think it was unaired. So it's only on YouTube or as a bootleg. It was the pilot episode of The Tick live-action show. Oh, yeah. The life of a superhero is a lonely one filled with hardship and danger. The few who answer the call must leave comfort, safety, and often sanity behind. But someone's got to stand the heat and stay in the kitchen. Someone's got to don the oven mitts of all that's right and strangle the red-hot throat of all that's wrong. This is that someone's story. Hey, a bus. Now, it was uh, directed by Barry Sonnefield. Sonnefield. Oh, oh, really? Of uh, Men in Black. And didn't he do The Addams Family? Yeah, I think he did. And he's he's acted in a lot of movies. He's has a huge history as a producer, director, actor, writer. Yeah. And I can't remember the actor's name. My kids know his name. As a matter of fact, they they said it to me the other day, and I can't I can't remember. But man, that's so weird that you mentioned this because uh, you know I, I have a lot of uh, of sound files um, on my computer. You know, I, I collect uh, Disney parks like music and sound files and stuff, and then I play I have them play randomly. You know, through my music player, just as I'm sitting in front of the computer doing stuff. And one of them came up today, and it was part of the. Uh, the safety spiel for an attraction called Soren, and it's that guy, that actor that played the Tick, right? And he played Putty in yeah. Seinfeld. Yeah, 
He was also, uh, I don't know if you ever saw the, uh, the uh, commercials that uh, Jerry Seinfeld did for American Express. It was him and Superman. Yes. Um, he did the voice of Superman in those uh, that makes commercials sense. too. Oh, yeah, he has that classic voice. I think he's voicing um, a character on one of the shows my kids watch right now, and I can't think of it. I'm going to have to look this up because it's going to drive. Keep I'm talking. Come up with it it. I'm going to come up with it in a second, in about two seconds. Patrick Warburton. That's yep. Patrick Warburton. Yeah, but anyway, when I heard his heard his voice on that today and everything, I was, it got me to thinking about the tick, and I was like, you know what? I gotta I gotta go find that to download because I know I was thinking more about the animated series, but then I was like, wasn't there supposed to be a live action show at one time? They must there not. There was. Have, and I, what happened was they shot that pilot. And for whatever reason, they didn't like it. It had Arthur in it. It was sort of about how he and Arthur hook up. And um, <clears throat> it's got... Um, I think there are Flader Mouses in it. And there's um, Miss American Maid. Yeah. And... Um, they're, you know, they're just sort of, they're, they're sort of buddies. There's a Seinfeld aspect to it of where they meet in a in a restaurant and talk to each other, but the like especially the very first scene in it is just the Tick standing over the bus station, you know, talking to himself in a comic book voiceover narration, and the guys at the bus station are like sick of him hanging out there and like trick him into thinking that he dropped a bus ticket and get put him on the bus, you know, to get him the hell out of there so he'll stop talking and annoying him. And it's just a very much, just, it was sort of the perfect blend of the animated Tick show and the actual comic book of the Tick, which was a little more adult than the animated version, which was kind of adult for a kiddie cartoon. And, uh, um, that reminds me, if I got time after your next one, maybe I have another bonus animated TV cool. show that should, but um, it just it just captured the whole thing. It had a TV sitcom feel to it, but you know the characters felt like the Tick, and for whatever reason, they decided to pick it up off that pilot. But they didn't like the dynamics of the pilot, so they changed it into a more ensemble piece where, um, you know, all the other superheroes were sort of more main characters. And uh, they jumbled it all around, and it was terrible. Terrible. There were, like, romantic subplots between one character and American Maid. And I don't know if she was called American Maid in this. She, I think they changed all their names. And uh, it was just terrible. Unwatchable. Painfully um, awkward. And maybe the pilot's better because Sonnefeld directed it, and he's a really good director <clears throat> but I don't know I think it, it, it smells to me of studio executive tomfoolery fiddle fuckery <laughs> I call shenanigans I love that word oh, I, I, here's how Mike I was trying to think how the hell am I because somehow or other this guy's name came up as a topic of conversation in the car not long ago and don't ask me why I can't remember and my kids, out of no, I mean, both of them, and my little one's only eight. Out of nowhere, they're, oh, Patrick Warburton. I'm thinking, now that's a pretty obscure reference. How the hell do my kids know Patrick Warburton? I think it was because he does, uh, 
he did some voices in the Tack and the Power of Juju video game, and now, now there's a Nickelodeon series. I, that must uh-huh. be how they know him. But I'm looking at his at his resume here, and uh, man, he's he's done a lot of stuff. I didn't. He was the voice of Buzz Lightyear in the Buzz Lightyear of Star Command animated show because Tim oh, Allen. That Tim, makes sense. Tim Allen didn't come back to do that. He, he yeah, did. He probably he cost did, too much. Yeah, probably. He did. Uh, he's done a lot of stuff. Um, he was in Chicken Little. He was. Uh, I just recently saw him in uh, uh, the Get Smart movie. And he oh, was, that makes sense. He was pretty cool. I mean, he's just a brief little part, but he was funny in that. Um, and uh, probably for me personally, probably the biggest thing I I know him from is the uh, the Soren ride. Um, which you know they've got Soren at Epcot, and then they've got Soren over California at uh, Disney's California Adventure out in uh, well in California, and uh, he's he's does your pre-flight briefing and all that for that, and he's you know just you know kind of hams it up through that whole yeah, thing. He's kind of the modern day Adam West in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, he is. He he's is. sort I of like a him, beef, beefed up Adam West. You know, I would. I would like to see him actually play Superman. I mean, like a live. I think he'd make a good live-action Superman. I mean, he's beefy enough. He's a little over, over the top. You know, he's a little bit. You know, he's almost more of the stereotype super guy. You know, just a. He's got the deep voice. But the problem is he's got that caveman brow, you know. Superman can't look big and dumb. Superman's got a, you know, Superman's got that, you know. It's it's more of an ever, you know. His face isn't a big chunk like this. This guy is a slab, you know. Yeah, yeah he's he is. more. He could play. Um, oh, what was the name of the superhero goes berserk in that comic book? Destroy. Oh, the Red Basher! Oh, the Red Basher. Red he would be a perfect Red Basher. Oh, what a what a wow! What a reference out of nowhere, man! Let's hit Hollywood and pitch that that movie. I'm telling you, that comic book. Wow, this is such a tangent, but that comic book needs to be a movie. God damn it! They need yeah. to make that book into it. That would be the best if they you know with the modern technology. Give that give that movie to somebody. Who who are those guys that did like Godzilla and Independence Day and all that? Oh yeah. Um Oh, it doesn't matter, but you know, give give them the destroy movie. Right, because they that, can't they can't do a story for shit anyway, and it doesn't have a story. It doesn't have a story. Action. It's all fight. There is no story in that book. I don't I could I can't even remember, and I've read that book a million times. I can't even tell you what the hell the Red Basher was all pissed off about. He's just he got, pissed. <laughs> he got pissed at the beginning and just started pissed. and, and it's started just, destroying. He he's just a big you know generic supervillain and then you've got Captain whatever the hell his name is, Captain Marvelous or Captain Wonderful or whatever his name is. He's just a big dumb generic superhero. They're just two overly powered guys that beat the living freaks. shit out of each other and destroy all of New York City. That's all that book is, and it's, yeah. it's absolutely fucking it's, hysterical. It's all just it the, destru- the destruction of New York City, and then at the end, they <laughs> so kindly provide you with a map of the destruction, of the trail of destruction, <clears throat> and you see New York City with just a <laughs> swath cut through it. 
I thought you were going to talk. My favorite thing, or one of my favorite and, things, and, 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 and let's not line. forget. Let's What's, not forget that the comic book was one of those humongous. It was like oversized for an oversized comic. Yep. All yep. capital letters and exclamation marks. It is. It's the biggest. It's the biggest comic that I have because it's bigger than even the old like uh, like limited collectors edition. Yep. It's even bigger than that. It's huge. Wider and taller. <laughs> and then they did a they did a 3D version uh, yep. a couple of years after that. It was a, it was just a reprint, but that one's like I think that one's normal comic size. But yes, yeah, it is. My my favorite thing is uh, the last panel. Is is they're all you know the survivors are all standing around. <laughs> And all of New York looks like Ground Zero looked like after the World Trade Centers went down. All of New York looks like that. The entire city is leveled. And the mayor standing there, and he, or it's either the mayor or the chief of police, I can't remember. And he goes, well, at least nobody was hurt. <laughs> that's how the, the book, end. And I was like, oh, that's great. <laughs> but they, oh, they so bad need to make that into a movie. Yeah. That, would, that would just totally kick ass. So what's next on your list? Okay, next on my list is the last thing on my list. Um, this one may seem at first like it's a little bit off topic because we're, we're pretty much talking, you know, sci-fi, superheroes, that sort of thing. But I, I will argue that this actually is on topic. Um, this is an HBO TV series done by... Um, Tom Hanks and Ron, Ron Howard back. This was just a couple years ago. I want to say maybe maybe 10 years ago at most. Um, it was called From the Earth to the Moon. Great, great, great series. I, I, I don't know how popular it was. I don't know if it's truly neglected per se, but I have the feeling that a lot of my geek brothers and sisters have not seen this movie. If you are a Star Trek fan, you've got to watch this. It, it was, I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, it's got top-notch production values on it, and it's just great. And it, what I really like about it is it's done from the perspective of the, the idea was to cover the history of our journey from the Earth to the Moon with, with the angle of, I bet you didn't know this. So each episode is very much constructed with the idea of, you know, you think you know the story. Well, here's, here's what really went down. So every single episode has a definite element of, huh, I did not know that, you know? And, and several of them that I really like are ones that... You know, I, I'm a big fan, and I, I think I've talked about this before on the show. I'm a big fan of pivotal moments in history. The the moments in history that if somebody had a, you know, sneezed or farted or died or had, you know, the Not shit. attention for one second. Yeah, you know, or, you know, they, they, they had a stomach ache and they couldn't make, you know, a particular car ride or train ride or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm how different history could have been this series is and, and, and i mean it's all true it's not none of it's science fiction you know it's it's all the true history of of mercury gemini and apollo there are so many moments in this where you go damn how different 
would the world be today if that you know if they had and died then and there yeah. you know i mean the two that really jump out at me is there there's one mission very early on i i believe it was it was either the first or one of the very first missions where it was during gemini so there's two astronauts up there and one of them was uh was uh, Neil Armstrong, and I believe the other one was Dave Scott, but I, I could be wrong. Anyway, they're up there, and it was one of the very first times that two spaceships docked. Well, they dock, and then something goes wrong with the ship that they're in, and a thruster gets stuck open, and they go into a tumble. Now, a tumble in space, you know, if anybody who's ever seen 2001, you know, you realize that's how they generate the gravity in, in the big wheel sequence when the guy's running. Right. You know, they generate that gravity by centrifugal force by spinning the spaceship. Well, as they tumble in this scene, the gravity's starting to increase and the centrifugal forces are increasing and they're approaching a point where they're going to black out. And if they black out, they die. And you realize that damn you know not only did we come so so close to losing astronauts in space you know something that still has not happened to america you know, just, you know we've lost astronauts but we've never had anybody die not in, space, in space right not only did we almost lose astronauts in space we almost lost neil armstrong now how different would world history be if armstrong had died then and there you know I mean, he's the first man on the moon. He, I mean, the entire world and, and you know, through, for the rest of human history, people are going to know his name. That, you know, so that was one. Uh, the Apollo 1 fire, you know, that episode is very powerful. You know, yeah. how different would the world have been? Because a lot of people don't realize Gus Grissom was the man who was on the shortlist for being the first man on the moon. If he had not died on Apollo 1... Again, you know, how different could world history be? And probably my favorite one, you know, one of my very favorite, you know, I'm a big fan of, of, of Apollo history anyway, of, you know, of early space flight history. One of my very favorite missions, arguably my favorite mission, is Apollo 8. Now, Apollo 8 was the first time that man went to the moon. We did not land on the moon. But this was the mission where where Jim Lovell, um, Frank Borman, and I think it's Bill Anders was the third guy. I forget. Anyway, these three guys went to the moon, circumnavigated the moon, and came home. They didn't land, but this was the first time human beings ever went to the moon. If you've ever seen that classic picture of the Earth rising over the, the lunar horizon... That picture was taken from Apollo 8. It's a very famous photograph. Anyway, if the accident that happened on Apollo 13 had happened on Apollo 8, those guys would have died. I mean, flat out, they were dead. Because on Apollo 13, when the command module failed, they had to use the lunar module as a lifeboat. You know, so they not only lived right. that ship, they not only breathed out of that ship, they used that ship for course corrections and eventually to shoot them on their trajectory back to Earth. Well, Apollo 8 was simply to go 
circumnavigate and come home. They didn't have a lunar module. So if the same accident had happened to them on Apollo 8, they were completely They're just fucked. done. Yeah. yeah, done. And I if I if I if I remember correctly um it was also an instance where if something had gone wrong on that mission and somehow their burn had failed, they would have been trapped in lunar orbit forever. So, I mean, there's a lot of little things like that that you think about and you think, you know, God, you know, how about the stones on these guys? Oh, yeah. it's a, it's a It takes a miracle just to pull it off, you know? I mean, yeah, it, it's yeah. – it's, it's, I mean, that whole series will That's give, why they recruited test pilots and oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But I mean that whole series it, it'll it'll give you chills, it'll give you thrills. And I mean if you've got half a patriotic bone in your body, there's so many moments in it. And I mean I I'm not saying it's it, it, it's a cheerleading thing by any means, but I mean it will just it will get your your patriotic emotions going. I mean there's a lot of those kind of moments in this. And it's it's just a really entertaining series. And uh, and I like it's got a ton of geek connections. Um, Tim Daly, who was the voice of Superman in Superman the Animated Series, plays Jim Lovell, one of my favorite astronauts. Jim Lovell's the same astronaut who was the commander in Apollo 13. He's, so Tim Daly's playing the same role in this series that um, Tom Hanks played in Apollo 13. If you saw Apollo 13 and liked Apollo 13... This basically this series is giving you more of what that movie was. It's it's going very in depth in every mission. Um, the guy that plays Emmett Seaborn, who I do believe is a fictional character in this, I think he's the only fictional character in this series. Um, he's played by Lane Smith, who played Perry White on The Adventures of Lois and Clark. So right there, you've already got Superman and Perry White in this. Uh-huh. And I think that the kid who is the voice of Jimmy Olsen is in this show somewhere too. Um, Ron Howard's uh, freakish-looking brother is back in this oh, again, playing yeah. a. Uh, he plays a controller just like he did in Apollo 13. He was one of the controllers. He's a controller in this. Um, tons of other actors that you'll instantly recognize from other things. Especially, there's a lot of Star Trek people in this. Um, just uh you know it's just full of like actors where you go oh i know that guy but you don't necessarily know their name you just you've seen them around top-notch special effects um top-notch direction different different episodes are directed by different directors because this was an hbo series um top-notch scores um one of my favorite scores was uh, the episode 1968, which is my favorite episode. That one covers the uh, Apollo 8 mission. Um, the whole episode was scored by Michael Kamen, who wrote the theme to the show. So the, the theme to the show is very ref- reminiscent of his uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves theme. But this one particular episode, he did the entire score for the entire episode. Um, um uh, James Newton Howard did at least one, but I mean, just top-notch production values. A really, really good show. And again, like like I said, if you like Star Trek, you'll love this this series. It's really good. And uh, I think that's pretty much it for my list. Well, I think this last segment's gone about an hour. <laughs> Whoa! Almost, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> 
Was that it for your list? I could come. I, I'll give an honorable mention, and that's to an animated series from a few years ago called The Ripping Friends. The- it's ripping time! That's the spirit. Let's rip them apart. same team that brought Ren and Stimpy into the world and it was a superhero <laughs> show starring these super steroided out huge ridiculous superheroes and uh, their mascot Jimmy the Idiot Boy but I, it's un, indescribably rude it was one of those things that was on at 10 in the morning on a Saturday morning and you'd be watching it as an adult going Really, they put this on at 10 in the morning where little kids can see this. Lots of farts. They actually, there was one um, episode in the future where cats wore this little teleporter unit over their butts and it would <laughs> teleport the poop into their litter box and you would actually see like the teleporter unit over the litter box with a huge turd coming out into the litter box. And uh, there was one um, beautiful episode about a wad of gum that this little girl's been chewing for two years and she goes to the in the dentist wants her to take it out of her mouth but she leaves she hides it up in her mouth and he gives her an x-ray and it brings the wad of gum to life and it becomes the indigestible wad and goes out at night seeking moisture Ew. voiced by the immortal and wonderful Ernest Borgnine <laughs> I am the indigestible wad. He does uh, one of the, oh, my kids could tell you. I can't think of the name. He does, uh, there's a parody of Batman and Robin on SpongeBob uh-huh. right now. And he does the voice of one of the one of the guys. He's got to be like 89, 90 years oh, yeah, old yeah. by now. He's, def- he's definitely up there. But um, My kid. My kids could say I can't think of his name. He's dressed kind of. He kind of looks like Aquaman. It's like Aquaman and Squid Boy or some shit. I can't remember. But anyway, he does one of the voices. Anyway, I I highly, highly, highly recommend the Ripping Friends. It's gross out, gross out humor and great wild takes and uh, the the uh, all the all the Ripping Friends are they're all brothers. And their leader and their leader is their mom called He Mom, which looks like a big construction worker in drag from like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Just bizarre, over the top. <laughs> Un- that there's one character that that shoots eggs out his butt. Just you know, he bends over and out pop the eggs. And. <laughs> There, there's yeah, there's one character who can control his farts. Evil villains galore. Crazy vocal. Everything about it is completely over the top, and uh, you know, every character is insanely hairy, muscle bound, 
incredibly, you know, they have the brains of maybe like a six-year-old kid, except for Jimmy the Idiot Boy, who debatably could have no brains at all. He usually just sort of stands around with his tongue hanging out and drool, and every once in a while he'll go, Bleh. There's actually one, one episode where one of the characters gets dehydrated by the indigestible wad, and uh, Jimmy the Idiot Boy has to chew on him to, in order to re-moisture and rehydrate him. <laughs> and you see him like... And just to prove to you that a f uh, back on episode one, mm -hmm. that that's not a canned sound effect. I can't believe you can, can do, do that. that. At that is... any point in time. That that just that amazed me when you when you told me that you that, that that wasn't something that you had to hunt down and find on the internet or something. No, I learned it from this book called Mouth Sounds, which came with one of those little plastic records in the back of it that taught you how to do all the like I that would... happy birthday record I used to have. Yep, and and uh, <laughs> and uh, I wish it, my nose has to be at the exact right state of being plugged up. But when it is, I'll tell you, and I'll do it. I can do the Hawaiian nose hum, which is this combination of humming, holding one of your nostrils shut, and and using a finger to pluck the at the other nostril, and it makes a very uh, Hawaiian ukulele sort of sound. Isn't that how Don Ho made his fortune? I'm pretty sure it is, and I think he used to drink champagne and play the Hawaiian nose harp. <laughs> I did have one more uh one more uh what do you call it honorable, honorable mention, mention. If, if we've got time. I know we're running long on this we're episode. We're running long, but you might you might as well go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Just this this one's real quick. This is uh from 1999. This is actually a movie. This wasn't a TV show. I should have mentioned this during a movie one, but I, somehow I missed it. Excuse me, it was uh October Sky. Did you ever see this movie? Never saw or heard of it. Up until never this heard. Point. Oh, I think you would like this. It starred uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. This was his uh, uh, pre-gay cowboy phase. Um, had Chris Cooper, who's not you know that 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 name doesn't conjure his face to a lot of people, but he was uh, probably his most famous role was in that movie. I think it was called American. Was it American Beauty, the one with Kevin Spacey in it? Yes, yes, it was. Yeah, he he was the abusive father that lived next door. Oh, okay. Now, in this movie, he plays Jake Gyllenhaal's uh, uh, father, and it also has Laura Dern. Um, this book, or this movie rather, is an adaption of uh, Homer Hickam's book um, Rocket Boys. Now, Homer Hickam, this book was was basically his uh biography of his like his early life he he grew up in this coal mining town and the story basically follows he sees sputnik go over as a kid and it inspires him and his friends to get into rocketry so they're getting into like amateur rocketry right at the same time that warner von braun and his team are trying to iron out the the problems of real rocketry, you know, of of getting our men into space, you know, the beginnings of the of the gem of the uh, uh, Mercury program. 
it's just a really the book was great. I, I had read the book and then the movie was a very faithful adaption of the book. It really didn't change anything and it, it actually added some things. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal, I, I, I have not really liked anything he's done since, but he's great in this movie. He, he plays Homer and, uh, his relationship with him and his father is, is really powerful in this movie because his father comes across as this really stern, you know, traditional, you know, you're going to work in the coal mine, whether you like it or not, you know, kind of guy. He doesn't, understand his son he doesn't understand what the hell the fascination is with these stupid rockets that you know he he keeps doing he wishes he'd just give up the whole damn thing and realize that his future is the is the is the mine is the coal mine and then laura dern plays like the teacher in school who who sees homer's potential and is trying to inspire him because she doesn't want to see him condemned to a life of working in this mine and probably dying an early death and all that. And it's just, it's a really, it's a good family movie. It's a good, powerful drama. It's a good father son movie. And what I really like best about it is that it's a really good geek movie. I mean, if, if you grew up like Chris and I, as, as kind of an outcast, you know, or felt like an outcast, you felt like you were a geek or a freak, you know, you felt like, you know, just just on the outs, this is the perfect movie for you because Homer and his friends, you know, they're they're geeks. They're kind of you know the losers in school. You know, they can't get the popular girls. You know, they're they're not. You know, they don't hang with the popular crowd. You know, while everybody else is playing sports or you know going to begin working in the coal mine or whatever. You know, he and his friends are spending every minute outside of school learning about, you know, rocketry and math and, you know, all these things to, you know, to, to get into rockets. And it's just one of those really good geeks, you know, geeks succeed movies, you know, cause at the end of the movie, it, it, you know, it tells you what eventually became of Homer. I mean, he eventually became one of the guys who built the space shuttle. So, I mean, it's a, it's a really good, you know, geek done well movie, you know, geek, geek made good movie. And uh, it, it's just powerful. It's a really, really good movie. It'll, it'll tug at your heartstrings. It'll, it'll, you'll walk away from it just feeling good. And, and it's just a, it's just a good movie. And uh, like I said, a good family movie, but I mean, don't let the tag family movie scare you off, make you think it's some, you know, hokey Disney thing. Cause it's not, it, it's just a good wholesome kind of movie. Yeah, just nothing PG or R-rated happens in it. Yeah, really. no. So, like, it, like real life. Oh, directed by uh, directed by Joe Johnston, by the way. Oh. Pardon me, I was just taking a drink of my Arizona <laughs> fruit punch, vitamin C asleep. fortified. I fell asleep there for a minute. Huh? What? No. Ah. <laughs> uh. Well, I think it's well, time to to call it a a night on this episode, though. Yeah, this has been kind of a kind of a slower episode, but I I, I hope you all enjoyed it. And in uh, definitely, um, send us your picks. I don't know if we solicited this at the end of our last show, but send us your uh, your selections for you know what you think is uh, are some of the neglected uh, movies and and TV shows that are out there. You know, things that you think deserve to get more recognition. Things that you think got uh, dogged when they shouldn't have been 
you know, things like that, and we'll uh, we'll read them out. Or if you disagree with us, you know, if we mentioned something that, you know, we thought that really deserved a second look, and you gave it that second look and thought, oh, this was just pure shit. Well, we want to hear. You know, give yeah. us give us your side of the story. Why does it suck? I, um, I just we, I just want to know. So I I don't even necessarily care about you know ever exposing what they've ever told me about good movies. I just want to go check them out. I just want to get the I want to get the goods on stuff that I might not have heard about. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, we can be reached um, at the moment through just our email. It's uh, two true freaks at gmail.com. That's T W O true freaks at gmail.com. Um, we do eventually hope to have some sort of a, a, a forum or something where we're a little bit easier to contact. But for the time being, uh, we can be reached to that email address. Uh, we will do our absolute best to read emails. Um, I had talked to Chris about this before. I wanted to actually promise to read emails, but I, 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 what I'll do is I'll make this promise. If you make it you know, pithy and interesting, and I, I mean, I don't care if it's negative. I mean, if you hate us, we'll read it. If you love us, we'll read it. Um, but I just, I, I'm not going to read generic email. I mean, if it's the generic, you guys are great, keep up the good work, I'm not going to bother. But if you're going to email us and say, you know, you talked about such and such, and I disagree, or, you know, you talked about such and such, and it made me think of this, and I thought you'd be interested. You know, we'll read, we'll read those kind of. I'll make, yeah. I will make time to read those kind of comments. Cause hey. And may I make a suggestion? If you're going to sure. insult us, make it good. <laughs> if you're gonna, if you're gonna call us names or, or pick on us, please make it good. Because yeah, I've been insulted by the best of them. Yeah, so yeah, just you know, if you're, if you're gonna swear at us. Let loose the floodgates. If you're going to talk about how much you hate us, <laughs> tell us exactly in graphic detail how much you hate us and why. Get your thesaurus out or whatever it takes, you know. Pull every every evil colloquialism country saying that pertains to idiots out of, out of your ass and throw it down in email. And we're guaranteed to read that stuff. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. I like it. I like a good insult actually better than than like words of words of praise are fun and they like bloat up your head like a melon but a great insult that could stick to you for life it's great it's like traumatizing your kids yeah, well, I need some new insults to throw out to I other know. people. So that's the big reason I'm soliciting people to send us their good insults so just that I can turn them around but uh Anyway, that's our show. Recycling, it's a wave of the future. <laughs> we, we hope you've enjoyed it, and uh, we will be back next time with, uh, I don't know, something to talk about. We'll be blabbing about something. Blah, blah, blah.